When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The novel Points of Origin is a journey into the mind of a fictional arsonist, Aaron Stiles. Aaron sets his deadliest fire at a hardware store called Cal's. But that's just the beginning. The hot Santa Ana winds race down through the canyons of the San Gabriel Mountains from the Mojave Desert. Getting off the freeway in Burbank, Aaron spotted a discarded mattress and box spring leaning against a wooden garage. He looked around and saw that there was no one in the alley. He lit the cigarette and slowly drove up to the mattress. He was already excited by the Santa Ana winds, and this fire would start off his day perfectly. Within minutes, he saw smoke being blown up the alley by the gusting winds. Aaron felt a chill go through his body, enjoying the ecstasy of his successful fire. He found the alley lined with apartment buildings. Each two-story building had carports off the alley open for his easy access. He decided to stay in the Burbank area a little longer. So I'm Sheila Bell and I owned Bell Cottage. It's a gift store in the city of Burbank. Early one morning, Sheila Bell pulled into the alley behind her store in her brand new Lexus and parked in her usual spot. Lexus was my favorite then. It was all like shiny wood inside and leather, and I couldn't believe it had a phone in the car because that was just new. We splurged and bought it. (laughs) They were beautiful. Sheila had come in early that morning to unpack inventory. So many boxes had come in, and I was just opening the back door of the store and throwing the boxes out the door. It was a very quiet time of morning, and um, I just heard some noise right outside the door and opened it. This huge fire was right in my face. It scared me to death. I was shocked. It was a big, heavy door, and I just slammed it. I ran to the front door to get out of there and get out to the back so that I could see what was happening. I was panicking because I could see my car was on fire. 
It was just chaotic. That's when I saw this man, and he was wearing a white shirt and tie, and he said he was a detective or a sheriff or something. Another neighbor had told him that there was a disabled man that lived in the house next to my store, and he jumped the fence to supposedly go and check on him. And then it wasn't a minute later, the police were there and the fire department was there. I told him about this man being out there, but he was gone. While they were there, they all got a call that there was another fire about three or four blocks down the same alley in somebody's dumpsters. They felt it was arson. Aaron drove back toward his fires. Turning the corner, he saw two columns of thick black smoke being dissipated by the strong winds. The bases of the columns were highlighted by fingers of orange flame shooting toward the sky. This is great. This is so fucking great. I'm Carrie Antholis, and this is Firebug. A devastating rash of fires burned 67 homes. An $18 million trail of ashes. Attributed to a man described as the most prolific arsonist of the 20th century. Madeline decided to entertain Matthew further by walking through cows. Oli's home center in South Pasadena. A home improvement store where four people died, including a child. Oh, the guy, the Frito Bandito. John felt this is probably his work. The real arsonist would probably not be apprehended. You have to make a major mistake somewhere along the line. Chapter 2, The Coin Tosser. Aaron wanted the cow's fire to be arson. Two store employees died at Oli's home center. The deaths were blotted out of his mind. It wasn't his fault. Just stupid people acting as stupid people do. He loved the inadvertent attention he derived from the newspaper coverage and hated it when he wasn't properly recognized. Officials report that the Oli's fire was Accidental. Aaron was so furious that he set a nearly identical fire two days later at another hardware store. Serial arsonists are known to keep logs of their fires or pictures of them. This is Glendale arson investigator John Orr. And I'm sure they get off on looking at their, their coverage on the news or something like that. In our last episode, Orr tried to investigate the deadly Ole's Home Center fire. But the L.A. Sheriff's arson squad determined that that fire was accidental. It was obvious that was an arson fire. Two days, I think it was, after the Ole's fire, there was a similar type fire at 
another store, it was a hardware store or something along those lines. And it seemed that they were related, getting into the mind of the arsonist. I remember thinking about that, well, shit, maybe that was just the guy's way of thumbing his nose up or something. After Oli's, fires seemed to follow Orr home. We had a series of fires that occurred along the foothills east and west of Glendale. Fires broke out Tuesday afternoon on East Chevy. This week at Oli's, you can save on... Two fires burned 135 acres Tuesday. Brush fires, grass fires, the frequency that they were happening and the methods used to set the fires indicated that this person had some knowledge or experience setting fires. Officials are looking for an arsonist responsible for at least 16 fires. So that was the first time that I experienced anything like that. In the first half of 1985, arson in Glendale was up 58%, and Orr needed help. I joined the arson detail in Glendale, California, and when I went on, our office was at the fire station 21. This is Doug Staubs. Staubs was a Glendale police officer brought on to assist Orr in investigations. John Orr and I were partners. It was a two-man detail. He was very helpful getting me situated in the office. He introduced me to the guys. John was good with what he did. He was well-known. All the investigators in the state, they would contact John if they had a fire that they couldn't solve. And Doug was eager to learn arson investigation from one of the best. I was grasshopper, okay? And, you know, he was my kung fu instructor, you know. That adrenaline rush when the bell rings and you can tell by the dispatcher's voice that, hey, you got a real thing going here. John had a reputation. He did like to speed around town. I speed a lot. I drive fast. He'd go real fast. He'd been pulled over quite a few times by the police officers there. Guys live on the edge like that. They're flaunting death when they go to fires. It's a very exciting profession. When I began working arson, we did have a lot of grass fires, a lot of fires in the hills, and I thought it was normal. You know, I got a lot of experience working that 15 months, probably more so than somebody working four or five years. The city of Glendale is surrounded by rolling hills of tall grass, which dry out in the summer, perfect for an arsonist looking to set brush fires. We would get there after the fire department had arrived, and they were in the process of putting the fire out. Here we have a large spread fire, and John, he'd look at it and say, okay, well, the point of origin was over here, and he'd walk over there. I found the source of many of my fires, just based on experience. You read the burn patterns, you read the damage, and you make a, a determination. Just like a doctor can sit and look at your physical symptoms, your jaundiced eyes or a puffy area around your neck, he can tell by looking at you what your symptoms are and what may be your malady. It's the same thing with fire investigation. I know what I'm looking for. And at a lot of these brush fires, Orr would find something that the arsonist left behind. All of a sudden he had leaned down and pick up the device. And I'd be like, wow. That's uh, awesome. This guy's good. Most arsonists use simple methods to start a fire. Matches, gasoline, 
but this arsonist was using a homemade incendiary device. It was a cigarette with a match or a book of matches tied around the bottom. When the cigarette would burn down, it would light the match and that would ignite the grass. So it was like a time-delayed device. It would give him five or 10 minutes to leave the scene. And that device had a calling card. He would wrap a coin around for weight to throw from the moving car. John was convinced that it's the same person, the same suspect starting these fires. We call him a coin tosser. Aaron reached into his pocket and found a handful of coins. He selected a quarter. A small dollop of glue was squeezed onto the cigarette. He rested the coin against it and drove on, rushing to find something to burn. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Santa Ana winds typically diminish in the late afternoon and become benign breezes into the night. This hot August evening wasn't typical. Aaron shut off his lights and motor, then slouched down behind the wheel. His heart thumped ponderously as he fought to keep it from racing out of control. He was the only one who saw the growing fire over 300 feet away. Light from the flames now totally illuminated the narrow alley and the three cars inside. The flames banked off the ceiling and were licking at the convertible top of an old Buick. Aaron lifted up his binoculars and marveled at the flames. He wanted to be closer. It was his, and he needed to be near it. He casually put his car in gear and found a break in the traffic. He pulled back onto Sunset and felt his erection straining against his jeans. He cupped his hand over it as he drove, shuddering at the prospect of another fire. John Orr and Doug Stobbs had been chasing a serial arsonist all summer, and they had a lot of time to talk about why this guy was setting so many fires. 
John says, you know, when we get a fire, look at the crowd. You may find that guy out there, the one that started. They'll watch the fire trucks pull up. They'll watch the people gathering around. And they're, they're getting sexually gratified. You know, they're having orgasms right there in their pants. That's kind of an oddball thing. People think, how's a guy get sexually excited about fires? Fire is an arsonist's friend, his lover. His, it's his fire. Sexually motivated fire setters treat their fires like that. They're friends, they're lovers. They, they instill confidence in them. Smokey the bear. Arsonists set three fires in an hour in the Glen. Those fires gutter a garage and four cars. May signal an expansion of the arsonist territory. A coin tosser. Initially, we thought he was just doing brush and grass fires. As the fire season ended and we had rains, we had trash and garage fires going off. I theorized that, you know, this guy was probably responsible and moving on because there's no more dry grass to burn. He's burning something else now. We had a rash of car fires. They were all started in carports uh, and they were all at like apartment complexes. They all had the same points of origin in the seat area. Finally, we did find some devices or remains of devices with coins attached to them in our alley fires. I got a call in the night to go and investigate one of these car fires. This was pretty new into my assignment, so I wasn't going on a lot of these by myself. But on that particular night, for whatever reason, John just didn't show up. That was the first one that I investigated on my own. You remember it was in a carport along an apartment complex. The fire department had it out already. It looked like the same situation as all the others that we had had. This one particular day that I went, there was a witness. We never had a witness before. The guy said he was outside by the street and he saw the suspect running from the carport right before the fire started. Couldn't get a good description except for it was a white guy, probably, a, you know, like 30 or 40. And he ran down the street and he got into a dark colored van and he took off. The next day, Staubs told Orr what he'd found and they began a surveillance looking for the dark van. We spent, you know, a couple days trying to find vans, but we never had any more car fires after that. They stopped. There was like a half mile to a mile of railroad track where we started getting a series of fires. Trash can fires, mattresses, uh, clothes, debris along the tracks. This was going on for a, a good couple of months. Now, I bowled on Wednesday nights. And one night, I'm sitting there with a couple of my buddies, and uh, it was close to midnight, and I just happened to think about it. I thought, you know what? We have not been called out on a fire in about four nights. I don't think we've gone this long without having something out there in the last month or so. We're due. 
just a, a gut feeling. I thought, you know, I want to go out there and check it out. You know, that was all it was. I pulled up into the dirt area underneath the freeway overpass. And I parked behind the pillar and I was just sitting there. I could see to my left and to my right a lot of track. There's no street lights. It was just a perfect spot to set. All of a sudden, the car turns left onto Doran, where I went, and turns his lights off. He's coming right at me. And I'm watching this, and he's slowly traveling up Doran. The car gets closer, closer, closer. I'm thinking, oh shit, there's my guy. And all of a sudden, he kind of almost stops a little bit and he turned his lights on and he pulls up to the van. Doug, what are you doing up here? And then I recognized it was John. And I said, well, shit, John. I said, we haven't had a fire in about, you know, four days. And I figured I'd just swing up here and sit on it for a little bit. And I said, what are you doing here? And uh, he says, well, hey, I thought the same thing. Great minds think alike. So we sat there for another half hour or whatever, and nothing happened. And lo and behold, no more fires along the tracks after that. Who was this guy who set dozens of fires comfortably, who built special devices, and who moved around the city like a ghost? John told me, he says, you know what? He says, I think a fireman's lighting these up. And I'm like, really? I said, why would you think that? It's a common thing to have firemen set fires, uh, or at least it, it does happen. I plotted the, the number of fires and patterned them out, and I felt because he's setting these fires in certain locations, it appeared that he had some kind of experience with doing this or knowledge of how to set fires. And I didn't agree with him. But he says, well, he says, you watch. He said, mark my word, I think it is. Not long after that, the coin tosser seemed to disappear. No more coins were found at the scenes of Glendale's brush fires, and the car fires seemed to stop altogether. It was a few years later, in neighboring Burbank, when Sheila Bell opened the back door of her gift shop to find her Lexus on fire. Lexus was my favorite then. They were beautiful. And a man standing there, watching it burn. When I think back to what he looked like, he had dark hair. He was a little bit overweight, and I think he had a mustache. When he said he was a deputy or, or a sheriff or something, I guess I was looking at my car, but then he was just gone. The detectives in Burbank checked the fire departments and the police departments, the sheriffs, to find out if anybody there had come into work and had witnessed a fire and that, you know, looked like the description I gave. There was nobody. It was unlikely that Aaron would ever become a suspect, and he knew it. His time delay devices gave him from a couple of minutes to almost an hour before the fire actually started. He occasionally walked into the area where his fire was burning, but only well after it was discovered and there were other people watching. 
An off-duty fireman being seen at a single fire was not unusual, but if he were to be seen by the same person more than once, he could become a suspect. Next week, Aaron from Points of Origin pays a visit to an arson investigators conference and a string of real fires break out around a real conference in Fresno. I'm going to set this fire and just see how the good these guys are. A bunch of country bumpkins, they can't catch me. Catch me if you can. To see photos and articles about the Glendale Car and Brush Fire series, visit our website at truth.media. Firebug is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Sony Music Entertainment. It was created in association with Crime Story Media. This episode of Firebug was produced by W. Harry Fortuna and Ryan Swigert, with help from Michelle Lands and Neil Denatia. Ryan Swigert is our senior producer. Story editing by Mark Smirling. Carrie Antholis, that's me, is your host and executive producer. Kevin Shepard and Alessandro Santoro are associate producers. Our archive producer is Brennan Reese. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Fact-checking by Austin Thompson. Michael Blumenfeld did the mix with help from Kenny Kusiak. Sound design by Michael Blumenfeld and Ryan Swigert. Music by Kenny Kusiak, John Kusiak, and Marmoset. Voice acting by Levi Petrie, Nick Dietz, and Katya Jadwick. Our title track is Young Men Dead by Black Angels. Special thanks to the California Conference of Arson Investigators. If you'd like to continue the conversation online, find us on Twitter, at Firebug Podcast. If you've enjoyed Firebug, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. And thanks for listening. <laughs>